Housings of the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, you're listening to Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show here on 3CR. My name is Shane and I'm here with Fiona. How are you going? Hey Shane, I'm going all right. How about yourself? Uh, terrible to be honest. Absolutely full of dust and allergies, but oh. powering on <laughs> like the uh, housing justice dynamos that we are. That's right. Uh what are we going to be talking about today? So today we're going to be hearing from Consumer Action Law Centre, Catherine Temple, who has been working very closely with HAG and with the residents of Retirement Villages Victoria and Council on the Ageing Victoria on retirement housing reform. So at the moment, there is a review into the Retirement Villages Act, and this has been a long time coming. So many, maybe five years ago now, um, lots of HAG members got together and demanded that there be a parliamentary inquiry into retirement housing. And by retirement housing, we mean retirement villages, um, independent living units, caravan parks, um, residential parks, so there's quite a variety of different types of retirement housing and the legislation that covers them is pretty inadequate. So HAG members got together and we got a parliamentary inquiry and there were hundreds and hundreds of submissions. One of the things that people were calling for was a review into the Act. And so now here we are in 2021, the Act is under review and Catherine's going to tell us all about it. Uh, fantastic. And then we'll be back with you. Um, so, Catherine, you're from Consumer Action Law Centre. Um, can you tell us a bit about Consumer Action Law Centre and what you do? Sure. So, Consumer Action is a community legal centre and a financial counselling practice based in Melbourne. Um, and we provide services to people living in Victoria. Um, we also have a policy and campaigns team uh, that uses insights from our casework to inform uh, yeah, law reform and, and other um, changes to industry practice. Yeah, and the main reason that we've asked you in today is to talk about the Retirement Villages Act uh, review that the Victorian government is undertaking at the moment, um, which I guess obviously comes out of that sort of campaigns and, and policy uh, aspect of your work. How is it that uh, Retirement Villages became a, an area of interest for Calcor, or why is that something that you'd be f considering or focusing on? We've been really lucky to work with um, campaign partners, um, having for the Age Action Group and Retirement um, RRVV and COTA. Um, this and comment was, was not paid for by the, <laughs> by the editors. Um, so we, uh, we, you know, we're hearing a lot about the issues that residents were facing in retirement villages, but other types of retirement housing as well. And we were also getting calls through our um, legal advice line from people seeking um, help with disputes with retirement housing operators. Um, and so we banded together with those um, other great groups and... Uh, you know, it's decided that we did need to see some radical um, change in this area. Um, and so we did take on a few cases um, and, you know, found them to be, as many residents would know, extremely um, resource-intensive um, and very challenging. And, and we used those cases to really inform our campaign and advocacy work, which is really where we're focused now. 
Um, so the review has been quite a long process and the government's just published its options paper for, for comment. What do you think are some of the like the biggest issues in, in retirement village you know, living or, or the biggest issues that need to be addressed in the review? I think one of the main areas for us is improving external dispute resolution options for residents. Um, at the moment, if they're unable to resolve a dispute with an operator, essentially you have to go to the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal, VCAT. Um, and, you know, in our experience, it's extremely time-consuming um, and expensive and resource-intensive and just not accessible for residents. So we'd really like to see um, an ombudsman-like model set up to kind of quickly, fairly and, and cheaply resolve disputes. And it's really great to see in the options paper that that has been set out as an option. Um, another area we'd like to see improvement in is around fairer fees. Uh, unfortunately, particularly the exit fees, they can be really, really uh, significant and they can, um, you know, residents have told me they feel trapped uh, because of the, how significant those exit fees are and, and how difficult they were to quantify when they moved in. Um, unfortunately, in the options paper, it seems the focus is on disclosing those fees rather than actually reforming them to make them fairer and more transparent. Um, so, you know, I think disclosure has its limitations. Um, it, we actually need to see some, some changes to the fees themselves to, to make them uh, more reasonable and fairer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not so helpful to tell people that the fees will be exploitative and unfair if they're still going to have to pay the exploitative and unfair fees. Um, yeah, and I mean, if they're not able to be calculated when you move in, um, then, you know, just telling someone that there's, yeah, an unfair and exploitative fee isn't going to be that helpful. Yeah, I mean, can you tell the listeners a bit about exit fees? Like, how do they typically work and why are they a concern? There's a whole range of different exit fees. One of the ones that gets the most attention is the deferred management fee, um, which is essentially a, a percentage of the um, ingoing or outgoing price, depending on the operator, um, that you pay when, when you leave. Um, and it's meant to reduce the incoming price of the property, although um, I think the jury's out on whether it achieves that. Um, and it can be, you know, in some of the worst contracts I saw, um, you know, around 40% of the sale price, um, you know, after only two or three years in, in a property. Um, so they can be really, really hefty. And I think my main concern is they don't necessarily relate to the value of the services provided um, that, that someone gets when they're in a village. Yeah. Um, but there's you know, other fees as well. You know, there's refurbishment fees and legal fees and you know, a whole heap of um, kind of hidden traps, I guess, for people who want to leave a village if they're, you know, unhappy or want to go elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things in what you've said that I think are really interesting. Um, I mean, one is, like you mentioned, there's a question about whether the, the DMF, the Deferred Management Fee, really reflects the value of the services. But I mean, retirement village residents are already paying something like rent. It's often called a maintenance charge or, or something like that. So if they're already paying rent, what what is it exactly that the deferred management fee is paying for? Yeah, and I think what you know the industry would say is that it, it reduces the incoming price. But as I said, I've, I've, I'm, I haven't seen definitive evidence really that that's the case. Um, and there is so much... Um, difference across operators on how they charge that fee and what it's calculated on um, that, yeah, I think it makes it even... It muddies the water even more about what, what that fee really is for. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that has been the source of a lot of, of the um, concerns that residents have brought to us is, is how much that fee is and, and what actually is it and, 
how do you even calculate it? Yeah, and I mean, I guess the other thing that's concerning about it and something that's been a matter of public concern since some of the big current affair reporting on retirement villages a few years back is that it also, because of the way it's calculated on a year-by-year basis and it sort of tops out, you know, it might be 10% per year or 5% per year for an X number of years, there's an incentive for the uh, operator to start churning residents out once they've maxed out their DMF because that's the most money that the, the operator is going to see out of that person. Uh, so we've seen allegations that some villages deliberately, you know, try and move it, residents in and out faster than those residents might want, um, r- rather than you know let them stay and age in place, which is what you would think a retirement village is for. Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, you know that also intersects with the issues we're hearing about with some of these villages actually becoming almost uh, more like aged care and and how does aged care fit into this um, and home-based aged care fit into this um, kind of scene because, yeah, we are seeing this issue of churn but also this issue of, um, you know, the village isn't what I was told it would be, you know, the the kind of demographics of of the people living here is changing compared to what I was told. Um, Yeah, and I think that that's, um, you know, that's an issue as well. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned this uh, as well before, but I think one of the biggest issues with DMFs that we see without with you know the people who come to us is that one if you decide that you no longer want to live in a village, you, if it's no longer appropriate for you, you know whether it's the demographic changing or because you've had a dispute with the manager or you know whatever other reason, the DMF effectively traps people in the village because if they were to leave, they're going to be paying up to forty percent of the the value of the the unit um, to the operator. And that means that, that they only have 60% of, you know, of their asset to, to go and find somewhere else. So they're not going to find anywhere you know, comparable that they're able to afford to move into. Um, and that really tra- tends to you know, trap people in villages a lot of the time. I've spoken to a, you know, any number of retirement village residents who would really like to leave, but the DMF structure makes it impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's... F- oh, sorry, <laughs> I should let the guest speak. <laughs> go on. To say it doesn't even have to be that someone's unhappy necessarily in the village, but you know I've, I've spoken to people whose families have moved, you know, to mm-hmm. country Victoria, or you know, and they and they'd love to be closer to their kids and their grandkids, um, but you know they just feel trapped by that fee. And so it is, um, it's not just uh, yet yeah, people who are unhappy or kind of change their mind. It's um, yeah, people wanting to be closer to their families. And interestingly, um, you know, in, in mortgages, uh, exit fees were banned um, mm. for, for mortgages a few, quite a few years ago now because it um, sort of was recognised that it does inhibit competition and, and a bit people's ability to, to choose and, and swap. So yeah, um, it is interesting to see that they're, they're still so prevalent in this market. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating because we hear a lot from, from the operators, from, you know, people running retirement villages from the kind of industry side about consumer choice and letting the market decide and we don't need regulation because people can make, you know, make these choices. But actually, you know, the market is structured in a way that really impedes consumers having those choices. Yeah, I agree. And I think um, it is about being able to, yeah, move into, it's not about just uh, understanding what you're moving into and, and being sold, um, you know, a, a lifestyle. It's about, you know, once you're there, being able to, to change your mind, to choose, to, um, to, to move somewhere else if you want to. And, and that should be what competition and free consumer choice is really about. 
Absolutely. So we'll have some more information at the end of today's show about how uh, our listeners can give their feedback to the government if they're interested in these issues and want to get involved. Um, but are there any last comments that you'd like to make or any other, other big issues in the options paper that you think are important? Well, I think one of the gaps um, in the options paper is about the need for really strong enforcement of the rules that we have and, and whatever the Retirement Villages Act might look like after this, um, this review. And so, you know, I'm really keen to see Consumer Affairs Victoria take a really strong role um, as a regulator in this space and to really hold operators um, to account and, and protect the interests of residents. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think um, some unfair practices have, have gotten through to the keeper over the years and, and I'd really like to see that change. Yeah, I mean, that is a, a really important note and a great note to finish on. Um, thanks so much for joining us today, Catherine. Thanks, Shane. Um, we're going to hear a song now. Let's see. Let's have some Aretha Franklin in here. Hey. Gonna hear from Aretha, and then we'll be back with some more housing news and information. Three CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains. And the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. Uh, you're listening to Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show on 3CR. My name is Shane. I'm here with Fiona. Uh, we just heard uh, Aretha Franklin with Ain't No Way. And before that, we heard from Catherine Temple from the Consumer Action Law Centre talking about the Retirement Villages Act review. Uh, the options paper is still open for uh, submissions if you want to make a contribution, um, either by uh, writing one yourself or by sending one or by making your views known to HAG. Uh, we would love to hear from you if you have opinions about what should change, what should be better. Um, the options paper deadline for submissions has been extended to May 14. Uh, so you have about another month if you're listening to this live, which I'm sure you all are, uh, to, uh, to make your opinions known to the government. Um, and please do, because the options paper is is, is deeply lacking. It, it's uh, uh, missing a lot of what we believe that we really need in retirement village reform. And they, the government really needs to hear from retirement village residents about what you need if that's if, if those changes are going to happen. 
Fiona. Yeah. You had something that you wanted to talk to the listeners about? Yeah. So um, I guess one of the things that we've been doing as part of our consultations with members about for the 10-year affordable housing strategy um, is we've been talking to groups of people who we think are falling through the gaps of the housing system. Um, And you might have read in the paper over the weekend um, that older women, 55 plus um, and older, are one of the biggest um, growing cohorts of people facing homelessness. And everyone talks about that a lot these days. It seems to have, in the last couple of years, really in the public consciousness about this group of women. Um, What we're seeing through our service, our Home at Last service, is that Older women who come to us um, with a small amount of savings um, are really, really difficult to find housing options for because they've got too much money saved to make them eligible for public housing and not enough to actually buy anywhere or be able to do kind of even in low-cost retirement housing. There's just not any options. And so they're really, really falling through the gaps Um So we're trying to highlight this group of people, particularly older women, but not only older women, um, who might have a little bit of superannuation or a little bit of money in the bank, and what can we do to help these people? So we had a consultation a couple of weeks ago. A bunch of women um, jumped online and spoke to us via Zoom and via the phone about their own experiences, and it was startlingly um, commonly held kind of experiences no matter where they're from. So there were people in rural Victoria, there were people in metropolitan Melbourne, there were also people in other states, um, including in Queensland, in New South Wales. So it really is happening all over the country. And we've written a briefing paper, which is up on our website, and it's called The Missing Middle, Older People Falling Through the Cracks in the Housing and Homelessness System. So it's, it's, a, it's a big crack. I know it's a big crack. crack. Sounds like a, a fine line, a, a little tiny, tiny, tiny break in uh, an otherwise solid barrier. Yeah. Um, but I think what we're talking about more is like the Atlantic Ocean. A cavern. Yep. A, a chasm. So in that briefing paper, we've got some some of the kind of cohorts of people who are retired in Australia. Um, and the first cohort that we've identified are people who are homeowners when they retire. And basically the system is very much geared towards homeowners. So once they've got their own home, they've paid it off, the pension income is enough for them to survive on and they're going to pretty much do okay. They can age in place and they're all right. Um, the next lot of people are the ones who retire without owning their own homes. And if they've got um, assets of up to about $30,000, then they're eligible for the social housing system, which, of course, is, you know, there's a long wait list and it's not perfect, but at least there is an option. The ones that we're really worried about is the third cohort, which is people who don't own their own homes but do have savings over $30,000. And so we're trying to get this issue highlighted so that government actually does something about this whether that be build housing specifically for this older cohort. It might be something like identifying where there is low-cost retirement housing, independent living units um, are very hard to kind of get any information about. 
And that did used to be a place where people could go if they did fall into this group of people. But these days we find that a lot of them have closed or they've been turned into other types of uh, more expensive retirement housing or else turned into nursing homes, into residential care or just closed altogether because the land values are increasing. So that's a problem. That whole sector we think is really seriously collapsing, but there's no information about that Um and then I guess the other thing is, um, do we have a look at things like the asset limit for public housing, which we know is going to put more pressure on the wait list? So yeah, there's a few ideas kicking around. What do you? What What are your thoughts, Shane? Working in this area? Oh, I mean, I think it goes back to something that we talked about a fair bit um, in the submissions we were making about the. Uh, public and social housing system, that in the housing and homelessness sector, there's this idea that's entrenched, you know, certainly in the government, that the proper kind of housing is commodified housing, is private rental, is home ownership, and that the role, the, the problem of homelessness is that there's some sort of barrier that's stopping individuals from moving into the private rental that is their birthright and is the proper form of housing, the best ideal form of housing for everyone. Um, and, you know, you see that play out in a lot of systems that are set up to support people into private rental, whether that's via transitional housing, uh, via managing substance use, via managing mental health problems, via, you know, employment services, all, all kinds of things that can, in fact, be barriers to, to housing for people. But those supports, th- those kind of ideas about pathways into private rental, into housing, don't really work for older people. If you're you know, if you're aged over 65, the reason that you can't afford, that you can't get into private rental isn't because, or most likely isn't because of a substance problem, most likely isn't because of a mental health problem, although, of course, older people also have those issues. It's because the pension's not enough and you're never going to have any more money than you have now. Yeah. Um, so the the systems that are set up to support people into housing just don't work. They, they completely break down. And that's a big problem for people. Uh, who, like you say, they've retired, you know, with, I mean, even $100,000, it sounds like a lot when you're talking in the context of homelessness, but $100,000 will not buy you a house. It will not buy you into a for-profit retirement village. Um, you know, we talk to people regularly at Hag who say, wait, what, what you're saying is I just have to, I'm just going to like fritter away my savings mm-hmm. that I, you know, I did the right thing. I saved, I, you know, I, I kept, you know, I worked hard. Now I've retired. I just have to fritter away my money until I'm broke enough that, uh, you know, when I reach crisis point, someone will help me. Yeah. And the answer is yes, that is how the system is set up. Yeah. Um, and the women that we were speaking to during our consultation really expressed how absolutely terrifying that prospect is. So you've saved your money, you've got your little bit of money in the bank, and, and that's kind of your buffer. And the idea of depleting that over time is makes people feel really scared and vulnerable and you know the future. The future doesn't look great for them, and it's 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 really hard as well. For like, we're not sure what to to even offer apart from we need to, I guess, get together as a group and actually highlight this issue to the decision makers and see if we can influence them because we can't actually offer very many housing um, solutions to this group of people, and that's also really. Um, it's not ideal for our housing service either. So, yeah, like we really would like to see. Um, government act on this. We know that the awareness is raised about the issue. People are talking about it, but where's the actual, where's the bricks and mortar, as they say? Where's the actual bums on seats here? (laughs) And so with the big housing build, we're hoping that some of what they've earmarked for affordable housing can potentially be 
um, earmarked for that group of women. We know there's a couple of small little pilot projects going around, but they just don't have the scale. So Women's Property Initiatives has got one. Um, but there's no, it's just a drop in the ocean, really. People talk about things like tiny houses, but a lot of the issues that we see in caravan parks will be the same. As for, I mean, tiny houses are caravans. That's, that's right. what they are. Yeah, that's right. She said that just to get a rise out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then share housing. People often talk about share housing too. The feedback that we've had is that it's not really what people want as they get older. Um, they'd rather have their own space. With shared communal spaces, similar to the way lots of independent living units are now, where they have a communal area to share or garden or solar panels or whatever um, as a communal space. But definitely your own private space because when you're in your 60s, 70s and 80s, I don't know if you want to be at a share house. Maybe you do. Um, well, I think that for many of us, we won't have a choice. The um, the solution, clearly, as in so many areas that we talk about, is simply to nationalise all retirement housing. <laughs> Shane's little barrow that he's going to push. <laughs> going to yep. push somewhere. The uh, Uphill. Just... <laughs> it certainly is uphill, but I mean, these are all uphill fights, aren't they? The, um, I think there is some movement. I mean, certainly in the aged care space, I think there's mm. a lot of public support for the idea of uh, nationalisation. We saw how, how poorly private aged care fared compared to state-run aged care during COVID. And I think that there is some public consciousness about that. Yeah. And we just need to whip it up into a frenzy uh, and... Demand. Get some action, yeah. And and the seniors commissioner in Victoria, we have a seniors commissioner, um, Gerard Mansour, who recently did a, a pretty wide-ranging um, consultation of older people, and he was really surprised to find that the number one issue for those older people was housing. So he he knew that housing would be a an issue, but something like 90-something percent of the people that they interviewed said it was the number one issue. Yeah, and I mean, you, you kind of said before that, like, the you know, of those three cohorts you mentioned, that the one that we're most concerned about is the missing middle. Sorry, the, I'm probably paraphrasing. Mm. But the, the problem is that, that every cohort of older people has a housing problem, you know, the... Uh, if you're in public and social housing, that's its own public, that's its own housing problem. If you're in a for-profit retirement village, that's its own housing problem. Mm. There, there isn't, you know, uh, these are just uh, relativities. We are almost out of time, oh Fiona. Oh my God, what? Can't believe it. We had so much more to say. The numbers. Numbers. The phone numbers. The phone numbers. Shall we give out some of yeah, them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fiona, of course, is going to give out our phone numbers. I actually have the phone numbers. So if you are an older person living in Victoria and you have a need for housing information or housing support, you can call our Home at Last service and the phone number is 1300 765 178. If you want to get involved in our political advocacy, if you are one of what we're calling the missing middle and you want to get politically active around this, um, you can call 96547389. So either one of those numbers will get through to one of our amazing and beautiful support staff that are on the lines ready to take your call right now. Got creepy at the end there. Um, <laughs> thanks very much, everyone. The back, we'll be back in a couple of weeks yep. uh, with some more Older People's Housing news. We are going to leave you with another song. This is Boots Randolph. Ooh. Ooh. Out of the box. Yakety sacks. See you next time.